0: Some who are old enough remember the assassination of JFK. In case you're thinking, I'm one of them, I'm not. Um, I was born nine days after that occurred. Uh, people were going about their lives in typical fashion on that November 22nd afternoon, but most can remember how they heard or where they were. British novelist David Lodge, in his introduction to one of his books, tells where he was. He was in a theater watching a performance of a satirical review he had helped write. He says, in one sketch, a character demonstrated his nonchalance in an interview by holding a radio to his ear while the interviewer was speaking. The actor, playing the part, typically would tune into a real broadcast. Suddenly, during that very short time that the radio was on in the theater, came the announcement that President Kennedy had been shot. The actor quickly turned the radio off, but it was too late. The audience had already heard it. Reality had interrupted the comedy. I I think that's illustrative, perhaps, of the modern church in some respects, where believers worship and pray, and they're in the Word only as a pretense. It's kind of going through the motions, really. You've always gone to church, so you still do. Somebody took you to church all your life, so you just do it. And then the reality of life hits, and they're shocked. They aren't ready. They don't know what to do. They didn't expect anything significant in a bad way to happen. And then the difficult times come along. And that's really where we've been as we've been going through verse by verse, the Second Corinthians, particularly as we started back in chapter 10. But we're together again this morning in our verse-by-verse study through this wonderful letter, a really long extended study through both of these letters, and lately we've had as our topic spiritual warfare, that's part of every believer's life, having to walk a hard road with an understanding of God's purposes and difficulty, that really has been our focus. The hard road we have seen may have to do with difficult people, it... uh, may have to do with being rejected. It may have to do with physical suffering, a challenging ministry, a number of other things. In our study, we see that Paul's ministry to the Corinthian church was a difficult time for him. We've gone through all the things that were said about him. We've gone through all the, all the things he had to go through during that ministry, with all the pain that came through all those times. And we've marked his character traits and responses to God's purposes for him that have helped us. Because as we see Paul having to go through that, that's his example and what God wants his children to learn through hardship. So we're prepared. We're not hearing it for the first time on a radio, short radio clip, and all of a sudden, wow, I mean, I didn't think Christianity was going to be hard. And we also saw it's really hard to determine why suffering or difficulty is occurring in someone's life. It can certainly come from a fallen world that groans in, uh, under the weight of sin, cause us trouble, even our own physical bodies, clay, bodies of clay, difficult times, hardship, uh, sickness, those kinds of things are certainly part of the weight of the curse. Trouble from the results of sin in our own body, certainly repercussions of making decisions uh, of, of a sinful nature. Trouble that comes as a result of being a minister in a church, that's certainly Paul's uh, issue here. Trouble can come from the spirit realm. We've seen that. And trouble can come from the Lord's chastening. Trouble can come in order to show the Lord's power. Trouble can come in order to prove a divine point. We've looked at all those uh, scriptures that have. Uh, much to say to us about the nature of suffering and, and the difficult times and what the Lord would have perhaps to teach us or to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, we saw our focus for this passage where Paul indicates, there was given me, he said, a thorn in the flesh. And we saw it with our word study that this was indicating a pointed piece of wood or a stake, not, not a thorn in your thumb, not a thorn in your foot, uh, perhaps from being out in the, in the woods. But uh, it, the stake had a disabling power over him. It isn't indicated exactly what it was, whether it was uh, actually in his actual physical flesh, so some kind of sickness, or, or in his unredeemed humanness. In other words, uh, his pride that was unchecked, and so it was staked there. But it was devastating to him physically, certainly. We know that, and emotionally, and I think that we've seen that clearly enough. Physical pain was involved with it, regardless of where it comes from. It doesn't have to be an illness or, or a, a physical problem, because we've all been uh, felt physical pain from being betrayed and, and uh, dishonored and, and insulted and all of that. So that's physical pain can be part of all of that. Then we saw a, a thing that helped us understand a little bit more about what was going on, and Paul was able to understand this because the Lord made it clear to him. It was a messenger, he said, of Satan to torment me. And this has to do with a demon. We saw, again, this is trouble from the spirit realm, and it's not isolated here. We've seen a number of examples. You can go back and catch those, if you will. This is it's not unlike what uh, God did with Job and we've seen that there are times when God releases Satan to do his own work in the life of his own people and there are times when God allows demons to go in and tear up the things we're really trying to do because he has a purpose that can only be accomplished by that and that appears to be the issue here and of course that's so unlike the modern church which just thinks all God does is send good angels to do good things to everybody and make everybody happy and bless them. We see that that's not always the case, and certainly uh, that is not the case here. So the assault was from this demon uh, through these false teachers, perhaps, in Corinth tearing up the church, uh, or on Paul physically, which resulted in physical pain and suffering that was from God. God had opened the way for a demonic assault, and God had allowed Paul to be hit where it was going to do the most good. And we saw that that word torment, colophidzo, was just literally beating with a fist. That's what it means bringing into subjection with many blows. So that was what Paul was enduring. That's how he described it. doesn't sound fun, and the indication's plain. Paul was being assaulted by a demon to keep his pride in check. So there were limits, of course, on what the demon can do. We looked at all of that because they're still under God's control, but God had allowed it. Maybe it's continually the stirring up of trouble inside the church, which Paul was powerless to do anything about, or maybe it's something else physically with Paul, but Paul knows it's from the Lord. And he says in verse 8, he says, concerning this... I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Obviously, Paul did not enjoy the beating he was taking either, any more than you and I would. But he doesn't say that Paul went out and commanded the demon or, or used his authority in Christ to bring it into subjection, as we see so foolishly taught in uh, churches around uh, the country. Where did Paul go? What did he do? Well, he went to the Lord. And I think we can say for sure that that was one of the purposes for the trial. That's the right response. He didn't go to Timothy. He didn't go to Titus any of the other apostles, Paul knew it was a demon at work because the Lord had made it clear to him and even though he knew the source, he didn't go to his friends, he didn't go to somebody with an earthly formula, he didn't go try to find a therapy to fix his pain, he didn't look for a technique, he wasn't after human wisdom. He asked the Lord to take it away and what was the Lord's answer? The Lord made it clear, number one, the chastening was from him, that it was for Paul's good, God wasn't going to take it away and perhaps had even been on Paul since he returned from his trip to heaven and God's purposes would prevail in Paul's ministry. And so we saw that last time, and we saw that God has purpose in our difficulty, and we've looked at a number of passages that help us understand that, and one of my desires really as we look through this section, which I think is the emphasis of the section, is to begin to understand suffering and hardship from a spiritual understanding, from a biblical worldview. We saw God has purposes in our difficulties so that he can comfort us and we can become a comforter. If you've missed any of those, you can go back and catch those passages and, and our exegesis of that, but... He gives us hard difficulties and for his purposes to be accomplished, that we can have endurance. We can produce, and he can produce a complete believer that he can use. We saw that um, he brings hardship to make us out of the right stuff, proven character and hope and longing for his return, which is then going to salt everything we do after that, and and so that we can be corrected and walk in righteousness. It's his desire that we walk in holiness, and perhaps he's he bringing about difficult times because he wants us to be uh, in righteousness and faithfulness, or that he His power can be put on display or he can prove a divine point, any number of things. And from 2 Corinthians 12, 9, we saw in general last week that he has, uh, Paul said, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. So in general, we can say that God allows difficult times in order to teach his children to rely on his grace and how to have real spiritual power. And I think that's just very clear from the passage. And then we saw Him say, "My grace is sufficient." We looked at that word. It's the word for raising up a barrier, something that's sufficient to do the job of defending or repelling an attack. That's the background of the word. We understand uh, sufficiency in a little different way in the English language, but the way the Bible presents it, that's how that's its background. To provide some support needed, the resource then is out of God's provision. So God said to Paul, "Is how you can understand that section. My grace is more than strong enough to keep you. It's strong enough to protect you. It's strong enough to empower you." And of course. That threw the light on that marvelous word grace, and we spent most of our time last week looking at that. We won't do that again. But that wonderful Greek word used 155 times in the New Testament, and we spent a lot of time on that last week, two weeks ago. But this is talking about not common grace, which is just how God pours out his goodness on everybody, regardless of their spiritual condition, but special grace, the uncommon grace of salvation. This is what this grace that Paul's talking about is. My grace is sufficient. The forgiveness of sin then all the blessings that are God's in the heavenlies and then are bestowed on us and held for us. Uh, that, that goes through sanctification and glorification. God is generous to undeserving, unworthy sinners. We spend a lot of time talking about that as we, as we worship the Lord musically. He's generous to those who are in Christ from the time of their salvation on into forever. And he'll always be that way. This is God's favor. This is God's goodness. This is the, the John one sixteen kind of grace for his from his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. We've received the fullness of Christ, which is the image of God full of grace, and we get that grace upon grace. So those of us who know God through faith in Christ are the recipients of the outpouring of God's continual blessing and his favor. Not, because, not to make us prosperous, not to make us healthy, not to make us, our life fun and happy and padded, but simply to supply for all our needs and in this context with Paul in a difficult time. Continuing blessing, we accumulate God's grace, we stand in his grace, we have the riches of his grace, according to Ephesians, and even in the middle of difficult times, even of our own making, James 4, 6 says he gives greater grace, so God isn't stingy with his grace, we saw that when it comes to common grace, he isn't stingy, and he isn't stingy when it comes to special grace, and sanctification, and the gifts, and the glorification, all that, God certainly has the power to do all of that. He understands how to apply it. He certainly had the power we saw last time to relieve Paul of his difficulty. Paul could have said, please deliver me, and he certainly could have. And he certainly probably has done that with you. He's delivered you from a difficult time. He took you through it temporarily and brought you out of it, and perhaps uh, he has the power now to take away, we know he has the power to take away your hardship. Maybe he will. But in this case, what does he say to Paul? Second Corinthians 12, 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and from what we know about God's grace, it is sufficient. I'm not going to take it away, Paul. You're going to struggle with this all your life, but I'm going to give you grace to get through it. And not only that, power is perfected in weakness. I want to make you powerful, Paul, and that, powerful, that power will be made perfect in your struggle. Now, you put yourself in Paul's shoes, you hear that answer from the Lord, I'm not going to deliver you. This is going to be with you all your life, and you're going to have to deal with some some thoughts, aren't you? No doubt Paul struggled. With what? The reality of what his life was going to look like continually buffeted by the demon. And that can be discouraging, can't it? I mean, you just think, I'm never going to be delivered from this. And so he had to struggle with all of that and had to come to to the correct equilibrium as, it, as, it, as this conversation with the Lord Uh, played out but he had to land beloved he had to land here he had to trust God's judgment he had to trust God's purposes he had to trust God's plan in all of this and he had to trust God's love for him he trusted that God knew him better market than he knew himself and thus what was best for him and this is where we have to land we're going to talk about that today and how we can land there and we can certainly say for all of the types of troubles that come our way, right? We can say that. And so the difficulty, like all types of difficulties through God's grace, resulted in, for Paul, his sanctification. That's what God wants in difficulty. And there is that perfecting grace of God. He's not content that we stay where we are. And now look at verse 10, Second Corinthians 12:10. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. And that word well-content, yo to keo, yo is well and to keo is to think. And that's where we ended last time. So what was the issue? The issue is he's not taking pleasure in the pain. He didn't enjoy the beating the demon was giving him. You don't enjoy difficult times you're having to go through, physical struggles, hardships, financial issues, relationship issues, job issues. Um, He's just thinking about it the right way, see, If you're going to trust God's judgment, trust God's purposes, trust his plan for all this, trust his love for you, trust that God knows you better than you know yourself, and so he knows what's good for you, then that's a a struggle in the mind first, isn't it? That's thinking correctly about all of that. Not taking pleasure in the pain, he's just thinking rightly about it, and that's the key. And he has won the battle of the mind that's waged over feelings and and the sense of what I deserve and why me and, and blaming someone else or something for your trouble. See, that is not what the Lord wants. That's not the response he wants. Paul is looking through all of that and seeing God's purposes and seeing the real source of the problem and the difficult people. And he sees it's the grace of God, not content to leave him where he is, but intent to bring him to completeness, lacking nothing. And these are the kinds of deep answers that Scripture brings to suffering and difficulty. Because, beloved, and I think that you'll understand this as we get into it, some would suggest that when you get to the deep things, you have to turn away from the Scripture because the Scripture is only good for superficial things. If you have some hard things to deal with, you've got to turn to psychology or psychiatry and therapy and counseling and even medication. And you have to fill the lack in our Christian life with some human insight or human wisdom. And beloved, I would just say to the, you to, this to you in the modern church. Most people have bought into the idea that the serious problems that Christians have are beyond the realm of the spiritual. And, and I can tell you that that's the case in society because every, uh, every year I get three or four calls from psychiatry and counseling sessions around places around here, and here's what they'll say. We just wanted to be a resource with you in case the problems are beyond you, and you can just refer them to us. And so by default, then, you're saying that the difficulties must be beyond the realm of the power of God. It's what you have to be saying. If you're saying that it's only these certain things that the Bible can deal with, and everything else has to go to human wisdom. And they're beyond grace. And they're beyond prayer and Scripture. And they require human wisdom To get to the bottom of it. And the folly of that thinking is very clearly presented to us in James chapter 1, verse 2. James says this Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, you're not going to love the hardship, okay? But when you see it coming, you can count it joy. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith. So that doesn't sound good, right? That I'm going to have my faith tested because it's a trial. But the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So count it joy when you come into hardship. Why? Because the Lord is going to make you into the kind of person he really needs you to be. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now mark this, verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. So in other words you're having a hard time, you see the difficult time approaching, you're not sure how to think about it and how you should go about handling it, and you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I really need some help in dealing with this issue. The Lord is not going to say, seriously, you've been saved for 54 years and you don't know this yet? He's not going to say that. He's not going to say to you, I mean, this is common. People already know this all over the place and you don't know it. You're a teacher and you don't know this? It's not going to be that. You're having a hard time. You need wisdom. You need to understand how to go about it. Ask God. He's not going to reproach you. And then, mark this there has to be some confidence in place that you're going to get the answers you need and that God is able to provide for you the answers you need. That's the whole point of verse 6. So, verse 6 says, But he must ask in faith without any doubting. So, you're not sure what's going to happen. You're not sure how you're going to handle it. You need some wisdom. And you're asking in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect he'll receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see the context of that whole thing, right? Trouble is coming. You're not sure how to handle it. You're asking the Lord for wisdom. And then it can't be, well, this is a really tough thing, so maybe you can help me with it, Lord. I'm not sure you can. Because what will you get from the Lord? Nothing. Because you're double-minded and unstable. If you're unsure, you have what you need in the Lord— then you won't get what you need. The Lord doesn't play second fiddle to human imaginations. We see much the same thing in, as Paul wrote a letter to the church in Colossae in Colossians two six. He says, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. That's pretty straightforward, right? I mean, if you had to sum up Christianity in, in one sentence, that would be it, right? You came to faith in Christ, walk with Jesus. Right? We say that all the time. That's how it should be. Just really straightforward. Having been... Firmly rooted and now being built up in him so you were rooted in Christ you died with Christ you rose with Christ you live together with him Okay, you've rooted Now being built up in him so a constant Sanctification going on where you begin to resemble more of Jesus in your life and established in your faith Just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So again some symptoms of being a believer, right? You're gonna grow and, and, and you're going to follow the instruction of the Word of God, and you're overflowing with gratitude, right? Because of you didn't deserve it, and we just sang about all of that. So you're anchored firmly, you're growing. Verse 8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. So you see the context? You've been anchored in Christ, you're growing in Christ, you receive instruction, and you've got uh, great gratitude for what the Lord has done. And then, make sure, don't, don't let anybody take you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Where does it come from, Beloved? according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And that's really referring to the approach to problems and difficulties, isn't it? It's right in the context of hardship and hard times and what happens when you grow and, what, and sanctification, see? Relying on, beloved, human methods and human approaches and imaginations of what caused the trouble, and, and these have been... Beloved, for the most part, invented and defined by the likes of Wilhelm Wundt and Sigmund Freud and others. And then systematically altered by others since the mid-1800s. Psychology is offered as the source of power in solving the deep problems, and imagine it while divine grace is adequate only for the shallower ones. You have, in other words, you have to turn to some human source for the deep things And you can turn to God for the shallow things. And the church, for the most part, has bought into this. Taken captive by philosophy and empty deception, which is according to the tradition of men and according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. You have to turn to some human source for the deep things. Even though Colossians 2.9 says, for in him, that's Jesus, that's what he just referred to in verse 8, All the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. That's a lot of deity. All the fullness of the deity in bodily form. And in him, mark it, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. He's the head over the easy things but the hard things. You're going to need people. You're going to need men and women who studied psychiatry and psychology in order to make sure that everything is on equilibrium for you. And help you understand the deep things of your life. Okay? Now listen, this probably sounds foreign to your ear. It's maybe hitting you, and you're like, man, he is totally wrong. Give me the next 25 minutes, okay? So here's the question. As you read that passage, in him, this is Jesus, whom you have died and rose with, and the Spirit of the living Christ lives in you. In him is all the fullness of the deity dwell in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, And he is the head over all rule and authority. So, here's the question. Is the word of God so insufficient that you have to have man's wisdom to solve the complex problems? When we're asking the really hard questions? When you're really at the bottom like Paul was and you can't seem to do anything about it and most of us would say and rightfully so if we're going to address the really tough things things that may not have an end ongoing hardships and struggles and deep pain and sorrow and disappointments and fears we don't want to give shallow answers and the word of God does not do that and that's the place to ask the question here it is did Paul find sufficient grace for his trouble in this word from the Lord Was God's grace sufficient for the most difficult troubles in life? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer that question with questions and let you figure this out. Is the law of the Lord perfect, restoring the soul? Is the testimony of the Lord sure, making wise the simple? Are the precepts of the Lord right, rejoicing the heart Is the commandment of the Lord pure, enlightening the eyes? Is the fear of the Lord clean, enduring forever? Are the judgments of the Lord true, and are they righteous altogether? Are they more desirable than gold, than fine gold? Are they sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb? Moreover by them your servant is warned in keeping of them there is great reward who can discern his errors the lord can of course talking about the general he you and me who can discern our errors the lord acquit me of hidden faults what because he knows them all see men don't know your hidden faults. men don't know your thoughts you're going to go to a man and have him discern all your deep hidden thoughts he doesn't know any of that they're hidden from men clearly laid out before the lord Verse 13, also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. That's arrogant, rude, or disrespectful sins. Is there one that is greater in presumption than saying that men and women have greater authority in understanding and understanding in solving the complex problems of people than the Lord? There's no better presumption than that. Let them not rule over me, then I'll be blameless and shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Why? Because he knows all of them, doesn't he? And the real difficulty usually arises by not starting with the sufficiency of divine grace and the word of God, but allowing human thoughts, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, And starting with that, and then trying to backtrack to the correct starting point. And it's immensely complicated by man's intervention, and man's thought processes, and man's treatments. Because once you start down that road, they've created a client who will continue to come back, reliant on them for all kinds of things. And trying to backtrack into the sufficiency of Scripture is very difficult once you start down that road. 2 Peter chapter 1, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Beloved, how is grace and peace multiplied to you? By man's wisdom? By thinking man's thoughts? By reading a couple psychology books? It's multiplied to you. Grace and peace is multiplied to you in the greater knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And where do you get that? You're going to spend time in the word each day. Meditate on God's thoughts, his understanding. You're going to grow in the knowledge of God and of of Christ. Now look at verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us most things pertaining to life and godliness. Is that what it says? All things. Everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him, who called us by His own glory and his excellence. How about Ephesians three sixteen? Paul prays for the church. He prays that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory. That's a lot of resource. Riches of God's glory, that's an untappable resource to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, again, same type of imagery, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, could I propose to you that that wouldn't be hard in the modern church? Because we've supposed that somehow the complex problems of life are not possibly solved by anything that has to do with divine grace or his resources. So it wouldn't be hard to impress us, would it? Because in the modern church, we think that's the default. And the world thinks we think that's the default which is proven by my calls all through the years. You can't possibly handle the hard stuff, so refer that to us. As if I would send anyone to a secular psychologist or psychiatrist to get answers to deep spiritual issues and struggles of the mind and hardships from the past. Listen, no way. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. That is huge power. And not for some divine miracle, not for you to lay hands on somebody and somehow they're healed. The Lord isn't doing that anymore. It's just simply he's given you the resource, and I think you've seen this, see? So here's the question. Is the breadth... And the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so deficient that it can't give us the resource and resolve to handle anything but trivial stuff? Is the fullness of God so weak and insufficient that it can only help us deal with the most minor of problems and so we need man's wisdom and man's insight for everything else? That's absurd, isn't it? When you say it that way, it's hard to even say it. Is the bundle of divine supplies we've received in salvation which enable us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man impotent at any other point in our life? It's a rhetorical question, and what's the answer? No. But I think that we have to solve this issue first if we're going to move on into difficult times and say, okay, the Lord is sufficient for this. Was Peter wrong when he said, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, was he wrong? Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his excellence, was Paul wrong and way too shallow and simple-minded when he said to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 2.12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. Listen, beloved, it's not shallow to say to someone that God's Word and His grace is sufficient for the issues of life. That's not shallow. It's not shallow to point believers to the Word of God for comfort and for understanding and listen, and to help each other with the gifts the Holy Spirit gives to every believer. He has comforted you and you can comfort other people. He has taken you through trials and made you complete and you can help other people in their endurance. Do you see? The Lord has equipped the church to do what it's supposed to do, but we're so conditioned that it can't possibly mean anything that's more complex than just a little bit of a a thought life problem or whatever, right? And you know, the world certainly doesn't understand this. And we don't expect them to. And I don't expect people who call me and say, hey, you know, refer all your difficult cases to us. We'd be glad to help. I don't, I don't expect them to understand these principles. And so I don't even go through it with them. Thank you for calling. First Corinthians 2.14. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. That's the world. But what about you? Do you need human reasoning and human patterns and human traditions to understand the hard things and the difficult times? No. Should you go to a counselor who doesn't pattern themselves after the basic principles of the word of God and somehow think you're going to get something that's going to make a difference in your life and solve some of your issues? How ridiculous is that? It's the blind leading the blind. First Corinthians 2.15 The world doesn't understand but he who is spiritual what? Appraises all things, right? Yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Nobody. But we have the mind of Sigmund Freud, Dr. Oz, and Dr. Phil? No! Christ! I mean, you know, First Corinthians 2.15, Would you think the one who made you knows you best, right? Psalm one and uh, one it says, um, "Lord, you have searched me, and you kind of know me. You searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. There's nothing." that you're going to think the Lord doesn't understand already and he knows the root of all those thoughts. That's comforting, isn't it? You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways even before there is a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all. Beloved, you are under the Lord's microscope. What is it about you that is not handleable from the word of God and the spirit of grace and the resources that are there. What is it? And and I'd like you to mark this too because I think this is part of the problem. Somehow uh, we have bought into the world's ideas and we brought them into Christianity thinking that somehow the Lord can only handle the minor stuff. And not only that if you have a problem or an issue or a dilemma you're struggling with rejection or worry or, or or depression or some other difficult thing that it has to have an immediate resolution it's like a microwave society we have got to throw that in the microwave and it needs to be ready to eat in 30 seconds and that does not align up it doesn't line up with what we see from the scriptures does it we have to you know counselors You can't get in to see a counselor unless you wait months to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. You're going to wait. Why? Because everybody's got a problem, and everybody wants an answer to it right now, and they're okay with whatever the answer is as long as they're relieved. People want it fixed right now. Now, I get that. If if you've got a physical problem, go to the doctor, okay? Uh, We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know... um, if it might be just the frailness of our physical body, it could be chastening from the Lord. We don't know, right? It's, un- it's-, it's impossible to really know that, but, it, you know, go to the doctor, have them take a look at it, you know. But it's the attitude you bring to it. Has it come from the Lord's hand? I don't think we could come away with any other understanding than that, can Can we? I think believers should be able to see, you know, with issues with relationships, with betrayal, with with health issues. Uh, There has to be a quick fix. People want to fix now. But I think believers should be able to see with all the examples and the types of trouble and where they might arise, that the right perspective is to understand that the trouble is part of life. We were with friends last night, and there was a big bonfire. Every time we'd stir up the fire, the sparks would fly up way up, like 40, 50 feet. And I just, I said to my, one of my sons was sitting up to me, that's precisely what Job says, Man is born into trouble as sparks fly up, right? That's how how it works in life. And looking for a quick solution really preempts trying to discern what God is desiring to do in the middle of it. I'm not saying don't go, and if it's a physical issue, go, go have it checked out. But God's trying to do something, too, in the middle of it, okay? Because God has a purpose in our suffering, and sometimes we get to see God's purposes, and sometimes we don't. And sometimes we get to find that they accomplished something really wonderful, and sometimes we're not sure what they accomplished in our life, and we maybe didn't do what we were supposed to do. And we find that it's just a cycle. It comes around again. The Lord's going to allow us to go through a difficult time again because he wants us to get to that point where we're being, we're being sanctified. But sometimes we'll get to the end of it, and it's been a spiritual high point, right? It's like Job. He didn't know that he was a subject of a debate in heaven. And he didn't know he was the, the proof that people follow the Lord regardless of whether he makes their life cushy or not. And he got to the end of it, he still didn't know. But what did he say? Before I heard of you, and now I've seen you, and I repent in sackcloth and ashes. It was the spiritual high point of his life. He realized he'd grown. And he'd understand God's purposes better. And, and we certainly shouldn't conclude, uh, because of it, that, that God doesn't really love us somehow saying, well, you must not really love me, Lord. It's kind of unfair that you've let all this happen. I mean, I've been a really faithful servant of yours. You know, I've been a believer for a long time, and I've lived my life really, re- I mean, I've tried to really come in line with your word. You know, what, what are you not? You don't love me now? Or that it needs to be immediately resolved in order to prove to us that God's listening to our prayers. Lord, please take it. And then he does not Well, you must not be listening, so I'll say it more and louder. And Lord, please listen to me. And he's heard you, right? Now, i want to go back to our passage. We're going to wrap up. Paul's answer to our questions. We're going to go back to the verses we just looked at. and We're going to look at, this is the hard road. This is what happens when you're at the bottom. This is what you come away with, okay? Look at verse eight, Second 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that he might leave me. Number one, God uses suffering to draw us to himself. That's where we go first, Okay? That's one of the purposes of difficult times. We immediately come to the Lord. When it happened, he went to the Lord three times to pray. And this is the right place to go. And here's the question. Where do you go when the difficult times come? When you're dealing with a hardship, when you're at the bottom. There's not any other place that you can move except up. The world runs to a therapist and gets a world's answer. You get to go to the living God whose resources are untappable. Paul faced a lot of trials in his life. When he was on a ship, it was going to sink. He went to the Lord. That was his habit. You remember that? He's on a ship. He already told them, don't sail. They sailed, you know, and now it's a big mess. They've been driven by for 14 days in the storm. And Paul's like, oh, man, I'm getting thrown in the water again. i am be floating around again. Did he say to that? No. What did he say to the crew? The God I serve, the one I have committed my life to, he has said this. And he encouraged them, didn't he? He just sought the Lord about it. This is a difficult time. I'm on a ship. They've, they've thrown all the tackle over. They've thrown all the food over. We're being driven around. I, this looks bad. And well, it's really unfair, Lord, because I've served you with all my life. And I'm going to Rome, and I want to I witness to Caesar. I mean, he thinks I would have been an easier trip. No. Hey, this is what we do, guys. You know, hardships come. That's how we handle them. That's the place he had to go, because that's where he found the strength and wisdom that he needed. Look at verse 9, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. James 4, verse 6, he gives greater grace, therefore it says God's opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You know, beloved, when when we're going through difficult times and then we say, you know, it's kind of unfair, God. That's the prideful answer we're talking about. You've elevated your own opinion of what you deserve and how it should go for you and what God should be obligated to do for you above the Lord. That's not humility. That's not saying, okay, Lord, there's something you want me to learn here, and I'm okay with learning it, and I just need grace. I'm going to need help to get through this. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll be free from you. You know, Paul understood, number two, with suffering that you're going to be often humbled. You're going to be broken. You're going to be repentant. And when, beloved, you become submissive and repentant, of course, you become useful to God. And, of course, he gives grace. And he says to the humble, he has said to me, this is the perfect tense. See, you know, Paul, Paul asked three times, but in the perfect tense, he said, he has said to me. In other words, I asked three times, but the standing answer is going to remain. This is the standing answer. I'm not going to take this message of sa- messenger of Satan away from you. I'm not going to deliver you, but I will give you more grace. That's the standing answer for Paul. You know, and, and I think about as I was reading in my own private quiet time. This week I'm in Genesis, back at the beginning of uh, the New Testament, working my way with you, and I I was reading about Joseph. And and you've read this, of course, it's been preached on all the time. But I I, I just was looking at the timeline for Joseph. You know, Joseph was kind of a jerk when he was a a little brother. Little brothers sometimes are jerks, aren't they? And um, they can be really unkind and and arrogant and annoying. And he was. And he had a really elevated opinion of himself, and he had a couple of visions he probably should have kept under his belt. Um, but he blabbed him out, and his brothers didn't like him. And so they're out tending sheep, and Joseph comes out with a brand-new coat from his dad. And it didn't help that his dad really liked him more than he liked everybody else. And so he sh- he's coming up, and they said, let's throw him in a pit and kill him. That's nice. You know you've gotten really under your sibling's skin. When they, when they see you, they say, we're going to throw him in a pit, and we're going to kill him. Instead of, wow, he's coming, you know, let's talk it. No. Let's See how quickly we can get rid of him. They threw him in a pit, but they didn't kill him. What did they do? They sold him to slavery. So here's Joseph, easy to say, in the pit. You know, Lord, I've been kind of faithful. I've really been faithful to you. You know, I, I'm walking in holiness. You know, I, I love you. You know, and now I'm in a pit, and now I'm on my way to Egypt, and I'm going to be a slave. And then he gets put in the house, and he's a slave, and he's faithful to the Lord, right? And I'm summing it up, giving you Kurt's Cliff's notes. Faithful. He's so faithful in the house as a slave that the guy he's working for doesn't have to worry about anything; he takes care of everything in the house. And the house is prospered, it says in the New Testament or in the Old Testament because Joseph was faithful and the Lord blessed him, the house was prospered. And this guy who's a slave owner has a really crummy wife and she thinks Joseph's something. And so she tries to entice him and he's like no and they're like no and like no, and then she grabs his coat and he runs out, he gets thrown in the slammer, in prison. And he goes straight from being a slave to being in prison and he's still faithful. The Word of God says that he was faithful there like he was in Potiphar's house and everything in faithfulness, the Lord blessed all of that that went on. Prison guard put him in charge of all the prisoners. So he gets to know everybody and two new people show up and he, they have dreams and they're really concerned and he tells what the dreams are and they turn out true and he says, hey, don't forget me when you go, you know, back up to the real world. And they do. You know for how long? Two more years. That's not very nice. Lord, really? Am I off your radar now? That's not what happened, right? Humble, waiting. And who would have thought that in two years he would go from prison, beard, nasty, dirty, in an hour to before the Pharaoh and vaulted to second in the land. Now, I'm not saying that's what the Lord's doing for you or for me. I'm not saying that in any way the promises to Joseph translate to us and in our difficulty. I'm just saying the Lord opposes the proud. And Joseph was proud, wasn't he? But when he came out of the prison, he wasn't. And that's the issue, see. He opposes the proud. And the last part of Second Corinthians 12, 9, he says, um, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. We have said before, as you think about people who face, you know, martyrdom and hardship like Stephen who saw Jesus on his throne and, and John Huss who was burned by the Catholic Church and died singing and, and, and many that are named in Hebrews 11 who, who stayed faithful because they looked for a better resurrection. Grace is sufficient, but you're never going to know that it's, that's sufficient grace if you don't have the difficulties to call for it. And we, th- we think about the martyrs, we think about if you've got Fox's book, you, you've read all of that, and you just thinking, man, I could I be that person? Could I do that? Could I be a Stephen and keep on preaching, and they're, they're, I know they're going to stone me? Could I be a John Huss and just continue to say I don't have anything to recant of, you know, and um, I'm going to sing as they light the fire? You know, it seems impossible, doesn't it? But we understand God gives grace sufficient, and he has the resources, right, for the difficulty. And you're never going to know the joy of that grace and the exhilaration of that grace until you have to have that grace. And God will use difficulty to reveal our spiritual condition. You know, when you're in the middle of your deepest sorrow and your hardest times, people will get to know the real you, right? And that, that's, that's, they got to know Stephen, really, didn't they? You got to know the real Paul. So, it's okay. You got to know um, what John Hustle's really like, right? I, I've got a friend of mine who's in, up in New York. His name's Justin. Justin was hard times. Justin had difficult stuff, and I'm telling you, I get to know the real Justin, and that was golden. He was golden. You know, I would go over and visit him, and I would be the one who came out encouraged. Justin knew what it was like to suffer. He also knew what it was like to have grace, and he had no problems receiving that from the Lord and being strong in his weakness. And when you're in the middle of your hardest, sorrow, difficult times, you know, think about Uh, The false apostles in the Corinthian church, they thought they were really something. But guess what? God thought Paul was really something. And the proof that he was God's man, becoming what God wanted him to be, was found in his response to the difficulty he was in. And there wasn't a quick fix. And it wasn't going to be over soon. And that extra grace God gives was enough. It was interacting with that spiritual attitude. And it's the same everywhere we look. In Acts chapter five verse forty. You remember, disciples have been preaching. They've just really started their ministry. They've been dragged into the to the jail, and they're flogged. Maybe you, maybe you didn't when you saw that was flogged. Maybe you didn't realize that was thirty nine lashes for each one. And so they come out of the jail, and and Acts chapter five verse forty one says, so they went on their way from the presence of the Lord. Saying, man, God, that was really painful and that stinks that we were doing all this good stuff and then you let us get flogged. No. Grace, sufficient for them to rejoice that they'd been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They understood the correct perspective and the suffering revealed their real character, didn't it? What about Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail? Acts 16, verse 22. The crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods and when they had struck them with many blows that didn't feel very good right he threw them into prison commanding the jailer to guard them securely and he took them at his word right verse 24 he having received such a command threw them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks so here they are they've taken a beating with rods and now they're fastened in stocks trying to recover from a beating no doubt very uncomfortable what are they doing about midnight, Paul and Silas were really complaining loudly about the injustice of being Romans and, and struck with rods without a, without a trial. No. They were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And get this, the prisoners were listening to them. The hardship made clear their true nature, didn't it? They understood what the real person was. There's no secret to the rest of the prisoners what they were going through. They could obviously see the stripes on their backs and the difficult oozing sores and all the things that were part of being flogged and being beaten. Grace upon grace. In time of trouble, we get to see the spiritual condition of Paul and Silas. And verse 9 says, Most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. This is number four. God will use difficulty to show his power to deliver you from it or through it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 illustrates this so well. No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. No difficulty, no hardship, no no enticement that's going to take you into a hardship. is going to come on you, beloved, but such is common to man. It's common around the world. It's common through the ages. And God is faithful. Of course he is. Who, is not, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with a temptation, provide a way of escape also so that you'll be able to endure it. Is he any less capable in the middle of hardship than he is in the middle of good times? The Lord may allow trials into your life, but they're not outside his control, and he'll bring you through. See, He wants to accomplish his purposes. You know, and there's so many like this. I mean, do we have any doubt that God is able? Deuteronomy 33, 26, there is none like the God of Israel, who rides the heavens to your help he rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in his majesty the eternal god is a dwelling place and underneath him are the everlasting arms joshua 1 1, 9 have i not commanded you be strong and courageous Why? don't tremble or to be dismayed because the lord your god is with you wherever you go god is a dwelling place he comes to your help he's ready to give you the grace to get through it or survive it and flourish into the person he wants to make, stepping up the grace that you need, see. And and all these promises are promises of old beloved, but we know Jesus was tempted just as we, yet without sin, stands ready to help, right? We understand that, and he makes intercession for us. Isaiah 43, one, catch this. But now, thus saith the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, you're mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And beloved, could I just point out the obvious, that he didn't promise there wouldn't be any waters, that there wouldn't be any rivers and no fire, in fact, just the opposite, right? In the world, you're going to have trouble. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Just promises to be there when we're going through it, see? And of course, the grace is there poured out on us to the full, and it'll be sufficient as a bulwark and strong enough to provide us the support that we need. And so he says, if we close, therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong well, content. I'm going to think, I think correctly about this. I'm not happy about the beating I'm taking. I don't really enjoy the pain, but I'm thinking that I've won the battle in my mind and I'm way over the feelings of a sense of what I deserve and I'm not going to raise up the why me's and the blaming someone or something and, and he's exchanged those thoughts for what we saw today. I realize that Difficult times draw me to God, and I'm glad for that. I realize difficult times will humble me and break me, and then I'm going to be useful. I realize difficult things uh, reveal my real spiritual content. I'm going to see who I really am in the middle of hard times. I realize difficult times are going to show your power to get me through or to deliver me, and then God will use difficulty and hardship to get you to the point where there's no more of you and then he can begin to use his power in you to be effective. No more of you. Okay, That's hard for some of us, isn't it? Because we think we bring a lot to the table here. Got a lot of ability, got a lot of uh, understanding, right? I mean, I, I got this, right? Paul says, it's really about there being a lot less of me and God working through me. God says to Paul, if there's going to be anything of eternal value accomplished, it's going to have to be me Working through you, so I'm going to use whatever it takes to get you to that point. So you see, physical suffering, mental anguish, disappointment, unfulfillment, market beloved, weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties, failures, they create a pressure on you that produces power. It really does because it just crushes you, right? It empties everything out of you that you think is good about you, doesn't it? When somebody insults you, doesn't it just squash you flat right where you thought you were really great? When somebody, when you're disappointed and things didn't turn out like you wanted, doesn't that just deflate you completely completely? You know, when there's unfulfillment, when there's we, you can't do what you used to do, you can't even do what you would hope you could do, when, you know, when there's distresses, when there's difficulties, things that are not going to stop, that's going to be part of your life forever. Doesn't that squash you flat and deflate you? It does, doesn't it? And in that, there's power, see, because that's a pressure that produces power. And when that happens, we can become nothing but a clear channel through which the power of God can flow. That's precisely the effort that God is placing in this whole thing so we have to change our mind about stuff don't we did you complain about an insult this week did you complain about a distress a disappointment did you ask the Lord to take away a difficulty and he hasn't yet and you may be afraid that he won't take it that's where you have to start. see that's a change of mind right Lord opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble And you start then with worship and time in the Word and all that and going to church, moving from pretense to an engagement. So you're ready when that announcement comes, see? And your time in the Word needs to come with understanding and reflection and you'll be equipped for whatever comes without shock, without surprise, and you'll understand what the Lord's purposes are in it and you'll become the person He's looking to make and may the Lord bring that to your remembrance this next week. You bow with me in prayer. Lord, we thank you today for the time to be together, for the fellowship that comes around our relationship to your son Jesus, for the blessing it is to be a part of a church that's involved with ministry and, and meeting of needs, and doing the things that you've told us we to do. And Father, I pray that you'll use your word as you see fit, help us to understand those things that we've talked about, help us to evaluate correctly where we are as we evaluate what you can really do and the power that's available through the Holy Spirit and the resources that are there to deal with the difficult things in life. We don't need the world's solutions. We don't need the world's evaluations. You've equipped the church to take care of the church, and you it takes care of us through the power of your word and through your Holy Spirit working in the lives of people. So help us to be about that. We're not scared about difficult things, we're not scared of hardship, we're not scared when we're asked to give an answer for hope that's in us we're not scared when things are hard and um, we can know and what a relief it is to know that it comes from your hand that you're not in any way capricious or unkind but that you love us you want to make sure that it's just you coming through and not ourselves so lord we give you praise for all of that we're so grateful that hardships draw us to you make us humble and broken and useful and it reveals our spiritual condition it shows your power and gets us to the point where it's you working through us. Use your word to make us different. Use your word to give us understanding and to grow. And to be the mature church you can use to do the things you want to do through us. And we pray that all of this in the name of your son Jesus and all God's people said.